and welcome to the Mad Cat Movie Review Podcast. I am your host, CL. I'm Sean. Derek. And today, we are going to do Set It Off, that 1993 class, or 1996 class. We just did two 1993 movies. Yep. <laughs> I blame you for that, Sean. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk a whole lot about who's in the movie, the music in the movie, and of course, like the reverberations of what Set It Off has done to the culture going forward. So I guess let's begin as to set the movie up, what it's about. So after being fired from her job, a bank teller, Frankie, who's played by Vivica Fox, begins working a janitorial service with her friends, which her name in the in the movie is TT. We never hear her actual name, but in the synopsis, it says to Sean. So whatever, we'll let that ride. Who's a single mother, Cleo, who's played by Queen Latifah, and TT is played by Kimberly Elise. Cleo, who's this boisterous, lesbian, like over the top person, and Stoney, played by Jada Pinky Smith, or Jada Pinkett at the time, who is dealing with the recent death of her brother. The women are basically going through a hard time with their finances, and they all decide to start robbing banks. At first, the group is successful, but they attract too much attention from an excessive detective who is the original quote unquote bank detective from Frankie's firing. So the movie came out in 96. How old was everybody in 96? 12, 13. Okay. Damn, bro. Y'all making me feel a little young right now. <laughs> I don't even know why that rolled off my tongue like that because normally I got to add some stuff up in my head. I was right. doing it right before he asked, too, because I figured. <laughs> so I was like seven, you know. I was a little bit behind y'all. So I, I didn't really catch this one until a little bit later. But um, we know F. Gary Gary directed the film, who also directed Friday. Now, going into this movie, were y'all aware that this was the same guy? Yeah, I know it was him. You knew it was him. I know you're a movie guy, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea either. Like, it couldn't be a farther departure, but the California tone. It's like one of those things like, oh, there's a lot of West Side Connection stuff in here. So I, I kind of could dig that. The movie made $41 million and the budget was only $9 million. Now, one of the things that I did read in the facts is that most of the budget went toward that Godfather music. I would like somebody to confirm that because if the budget was nine million and you had to pay about four just for the music, and I'm like, well, how much did the people in the movie make? That means them salaries was low. Like, I need to know. Somebody need to tell me because this movie was too good for the people in it not to be making much and the people just for that one scene. Now, I'm gonna ask y'all, was that scene worth it? I'm going to say no, because I can't even remember the scene that you're talking about. You remember the Godfather scene when they sitting at the big ass round table? Oh, yeah. She put the joints in her mouth. The, and Vivica Fox. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that. No, it's not worth it. For that little bit, it wasn't worth it. No. Sean? Nope. Absolutely not. I would have had a different violin track playing and told Scorsese now, fuck off. Now, another thing that I find interesting going into this movie is that it stars Queen Latifah. And Queen Latifah was smack dab in the middle of her living single run. Living single came on like 93, it ended in 98, and this drops right smack dab in the middle. I don't think Queen Latifah could have been more hot when it came to being on film and television. Absolutely lights up the screen in this movie and definitely shows that she has some 
real deal acting chops because she had been in a few things before and her screen time was limited. And see, this is weird because some of the things, like I just watched the movie and it doesn't stick in my head. It's like, I love this movie, but everything doesn't stay with me like it does with other movies. And I'm not quite sure why. And so like, did Stoney ever start narrating in the actual movie at all? Do we get any narration or are we just following her? No, I feel like it was more of a follow than okay. a narration. Cause I like, I know sometimes I be, I be kind of zoned out, but so we kind of follow Stoney as we go through the, the whole movie. Of course, the movie starts with, with Frankie. Now, how do you guys feel about being fired like Frankie? Cause like you, you was doing your job and they put a gun in your face. <laughs> he put a gun in your face. And then shot somebody in front of you and you panic and you get fired, bro. It's cold blooded. It's cold blooded. And the thing about it was, I'm not surprised. I feel like if that happened to a white lady, she wouldn't have lost her job. Mm -hmm. In a sense, you know, seeing that for the first time, it was very believable. But then Frankie had all the right to just blank and spaz on all them motherfuckers because that was wrong. Bang got robbed. She got a gun put to her head, witnessed something tragic and lost her job. Where was any of this her fault? Yeah, see, none of that was her fault. And for real, I probably would have had to put some hands and feet on old dude <laughs> firing me. <laughs> it would have just, since we were on the West Coast, I would have been crit walking up and down his ass. <laughs> so they pulled me off and I'm like, what's the procedure with the cop and everything? But I think it's effed up, but I understand it from the banker's perspective because they was trying to pull that uh, insurance scam. So the, the robbers, Darnell and them, only got away with 12K. But when they filed the insurance report through the police, you know, you saw in the news report later, they were talking about, oh, they the, the robbers got away with over 100,000. So I think firing her makes it look even worse. Because like, yeah, it's feasible that they got away with that amount of money because they had an inside person helping them. And mm -hmm. firing her kind of helps cover them tracks up a little bit so they can pull the insurance scam. So it's fucked up. But if I'm a greedy old, old banker, I understand. Yo, that, that was sick, bro. She still had the blood on her shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you ain't even wait for her to come back in, have a meeting, you know, get herself together. Just on the spot. Like, you got to go. I was appalled when I first seen that because I could not understand it. I could not put myself in any position in real life where somebody would let you witness a murder and expect you to just act normal like nothing happened like you have to be a psychopath mm -hmm. like now the other thing i will say to what you said derek is you kind of you can understand but my thing is i didn't understand why the connection was because you knew where he lived you know like how was that enough like how did you get there that fast like did they hire them from her specific place like where does she live like let's go find somebody there that we can connect to her because if we think in that deep, then it's like, damn, they really set her up. How long ago was this in play before mm -hmm. this hit, before this jumped off? Like, they always made me want the prequel to set it off. Like, we're the 15 minutes short of them setting up the thing. Yeah, that would be smart as hell to actually set that up. I feel like they probably just took advantage of the moment. I mean, yeah. you don't get to that level without being able to think on your feet and take advantage of a, of a tragedy. You know, mm -hmm. like they always say that. I forgot what industry they say. Don't let a perfect tragedy go to waste. Something mm -hmm. like that. I forget what industry it's in, but that's what it is. He's just one of them types of dudes. Like I can understand Frankie's, you know, demeanor 
from that point for the rest of the film. This is already the early 90s in Los Angeles. We know what kind of turbulent time that was. You know, she had a pretty decent job in the banking industry and loses that job over some bullshit. And then next thing you know, she with the friends working, making shit wages as a janitor, you know? So if there's one person that I could kind of, I could vibe with the most, you know, not, not that I couldn't vibe with all four of them at some level, but I really could see where Frankie was coming from. Did we just not know about lawyers? Or did you know, black people not trust lawyers? I mean, there's mm. lawyers. Like, we, I mean, even to this day, you know, we've been battling the, the legal system forever. And ain't, ain't really no trust. And especially out in L.A., come on. I mean, and, then the, and then the fact of her even affording one. But that's the thing. When you, when you have that type of case, they're going to see you for free. They're going to check all the stuff. And if they feel like some money's on the line, they'll do it up front for like basically, you know, 40% on the back end. It, it could have been done. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like this, and this is a, a running theme throughout the movie. Like no one seems to know or give a fuck about lawyers. And it's why that this movie works. We are living in a universe where nobody considers lawyers or taking legal action. And I think that is very important for this entire movie to work because if anybody decides to have one shred of a good idea and decides to pick up the phone and call a lawyer, I think something could have happened and they wouldn't have had to rob banks. But we want them to rob banks because that's what makes set it off a great movie. Now, continuing on to the story, they're working as janitorial service. Uh, what's my man's name? Luther. Oh my God, Luther. Is Luther like the worst boss? <laughs> he the boss who need his ass with, bro. Like you probably don't get any action at all. Because <laughs> if that's how you treat women, you won't get anywhere. Like even if they thought about giving you some, you ain't getting it. Have y'all ever experienced something like that? Like a boss like Luther? Oh, hell no. Oh, nah. Got his ass with. Well, you my boss, you ain't my father. Exactly. Would he have only tried that with women? I believe so. Yeah, women and men yeah. who demonstrate a spineless uh, nature. I can see that. Probably take advantage of some younger cats too. Right. You know, this is this is where we meet TT. Poor TT. Mm. Poor little <laughs> Tink Tink or TT. TT <laughs> can't make enough money to afford childcare on this salary. So. I'm trying to figure out, like, why are you working a job that doesn't allow you to have your child being looked after? That's that's an issue. Like, you should be actively looking for other work. You should not be saying, I can't afford that. You should be saying, I need more money. I feel like somebody, mama, not doing their job. I would probably lean more to a flaw in the film. Because mm. if you take the four women, you know, you got Frankie and you got Stoney. We understand enough of their background to see what got them to the point of these four women robbing banks. I feel like we don't get that from TT or Cleo. When I first watched this movie, to be real, I just thought Queen Latifah was there to be loud and funny. It's just like, yo, fuck it, whatever. We're going to rob banks. I'm with it. She just wanted to fuck hoes and get money. 
that's that's a definitely truth. Uh, I, I kind of felt that too at first, but we figure out that once she delivers a line, we ain't nothing but hood rats. Yeah, all we ever gonna be. That lets you know that her life is not much past this. If like if she goes out tomorrow, she gonna go out on a high. She is living life to the absolute fullest and not giving a fuck because this is it. She got There's no wish. To go. And then you know she had a mute chick, so you know. <laughs> I guess she was happy with that. You know, somebody just fuck on and not say nothing. Like, I don't, that, that's actually not that bad. How about <laughs> I want me to want to say lifestyle, <laughs> but I feel where you coming from on that. So I definitely, she just had an absolute like abandoned, reckless abandon for life. You know. It was much needed because everybody else had much more serious lives. Of course, TT with her baby. Frankie, of course, she's the bank teller. She's the prissy one. So she takes life serious. She's like, I know how it feels to have a little something. And of course, Stoney just losing her brother. She's, you know, trying to keep her purpose in life because at first her purpose was helping her brother succeed. But now it's just trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So she was the, the thing that would keep everything going in the wrong direction. If Queen Latif is not in that mix with that same energy, then we don't really get to have more bank robberies. There's no more. They just hit one, or they might hit two. They might hit two. But after t- it's, they're done. They're done. They can't do it again. I mean, I never understood the whole logic. I mean, when I was looking at them, they hit the first bank, and they got 3000 apiece, right? For me, you give me a free $3,000, you're never going to see me again. I could easily change my life with that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Easily. And they were like, what you going to do with $3,000? Where, where you think you're going to go? There's plenty of shit I can do. That $3,000 ain't going to fly here. There's a million countries where that just going to make me live like a king and help me get started. You know, for less than a G of that $3,000. Mm-hmm. So if I can't make it pop here, I'm, I'm heading out. And you're never going to see me again. Peace. Like, I, you wouldn't have had me come back for the second one. And if I did come back for the second one, I'd have been gone that night. It, it wouldn't have been no... All right, we're gonna go back to work and play it cool and blah blah blah. Nope, I'm out. I don't care if they know I'm, if I did it. I'm on the first thing smoking to some place with no extradition laws. They played it wrong. Yeah, I would echo the same thing. I kind of felt like after the first time they should have been done. The rest of it, I feel like you just got greedy after that point and just kept going for it. And we all know what happens with greed. Yeah, there's, there's always the end game with greed. And with that, three of them paid. The ultimate price. How much of it do you think was greed, and how much do you think it was like that hubris, that that excessive pride, where they're like, "Nah, we're we're the best. We nobody's catching us." Like mm-hmm. I had a hard time distinguishing between the two. And that's interesting. I never thought of that, but I, you know, I kind of always leaned on the side of greed. But you know, you bringing that up, I can see a few of them, especially Cleo and Frankie. Yeah, them two specifically. Yeah, especially the, those two. Yeah, Damn, that that is, that is interesting. I, I don't, I don't, I can't put a percentage to it right now, but I could definitely see that playing a part in at least two of their mindsets. When Cleo drove that uh, Pathfinder or whatever it was that SUV through the bank to pick him up, I was like, oh, she's on another level. She's like the next <laughs> level bugger for real. She's <laughs> really thinking this is a cartoon or something like that. Yeah, that's. <sighs> You know, it's probably like the sickest scene in the movie, you know, because it does set up the rest of the movie. I will, 
I will give the director that. Setting up that entire sequence is probably one of my faves. I think part of it is, like you said, it's like she was really high in that moment. You know, really drove off adrenaline. And you could tell every time they came back, she would be higher and higher. Because at first, she just celebrated, got her a couple of new things. Like, yeah, you know. And then by the second one, she's shooting the roof, you know. Just getting higher and higher off the thrill of doing this shit. And I feel like there's something that Frankie, from her mindset, is like, the bank fucked me over. I will always try to fuck over the bank. And I felt like that was driving her a little bit more than everybody else. Like she, Because she felt like, I'm the mastermind behind this shit, and I'm going to mastermind the fuck out of these banks. And they are not going to be able to see how this shit come in and how we get out so fast because I know all the procedure. I actually felt on that too. Cause I was like, if she would have just stuck to it logically, cause she had all the wherewithal, the ins, she knew the ins and outs of the banks. Cause she said they all basically operated the same. So if she would have just kept her emotions out of it. She probably could have gotten, they would have gotten away with it. Her in particular, she let herself get too emotionally caught up. She was like the good girl going bad, got screwed over by some dude. Now it's F everybody. You know, everybody paying for this. I ain't, I'm not being good to anybody. She had like that same kind of mentality. But if she could have just stayed logical with it, I think they probably could have gotten away. If they were going to actually continue, they might have had to let Cleo go. Definitely. Yeah. I think that would have been the opportune move is to replace Cleo. But she was the killer, you know. Replace her or just... Just roll with three of them. You got to replace her. I feel like that's a four-man job. I mean, have you ever seen a bank heist that had less than four people? I mean, the smart ones could do it with one. <laughs> you know, they find a way to hack into the system and take one cent off of everybody, off of every <laughs> deposit, you know, and no one notices. All right, that's inside, man. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole different book, you know. <laughs> but in this case, like, when you're talking about going in with some guns, you need one person basically watching the door two people watching everybody and one person gathering the money it's pretty much the the go-to now and it's usually the more the merrier um, but it usually doesn't get like that except in the first scene i will say from jump it actually was pretty smart you know have the dude already kind of right there next to the security guard another guy over there and then the guy right there you know getting ready in line they they I feel like their format was pretty smart. I guess, let me ask y'all this, because the bank robberies is a big part of this movie, and we could talk about them individually. Did you, besides the last one, because I feel like the last one's the most action-packed, but was there any of them that y'all particularly liked as far as either the get-ups, how they kind of ran in, the, the getaway part? Was there anything that y'all really liked that they did in their robbery scenes? Uh, I, I guess I would just lean on story with one of them. I feel like when they robbed the bank that Blair Underwood's character worked at. Keith. Keith, yeah. I guess I more so like the story there. Because just like what was said earlier, I feel like during the bank robbery, there was one big action scene, and we've already talked about that. So none of these bank robbing scenes I'm getting any pleasure action-wise that I've gotten out of other similar films. With theirs, I would have to lean on story 
And because of what was developing between Stoney and Keith, and then her reluctance or, you know, even thought of doing this job, but at the same time, keeping him safe, mm-hmm. but at the same time, making sure he, he don't find out it's a, you know, I like the story there. If I had to just pick one, just based off of that, how they did it, I like the, I think it was the second one when they had TT just act like she was one, of, she was a customer at the bank and just lay down on the floor so that yeah. she could see who's gonna, who's gonna be the one to try to pull. And she happened to be next to the undercover cop who was about to pull and she just had her gun on him and she was able to disarm him. But I feel like that's smart to just put a plant out there that no one knows is with you if you're gonna rob a bank. I did like that approach. I, I'm not gonna lie. And it's actually something that may be underutilized in other heist or robbery scenes because usually every they they're trying to get as many hands on the money as possible but it almost feels like it almost feels like a woman's touch to a robbery is to have that plant and have it pay off like that having her next to the undercover cop because you know us we just we're greedy so we're just like we got four niggas we're gonna jump in there three of y'all grab the cash you know, somebody watch the door type shit. And that was, that was next level for, I guess, for my consideration. So I will give them my hat tip on that. Now, I guess we can kind of get back to the story because everybody does have some trouble. Toward the beginning of the movie, Stoney's brother gets killed by police because he has that logo in the back of his head. And was that him? Was he being set up right there? No. He, he literally, he was the definition of wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So my girl thought he was getting set up. So past that from him going to see the hood dude who just robbed the bank, when that happened, did that guys make you feel some type of way in 2020 to just think that this is in 96 and it's still happening right now? I mean, when my girl saw that scene, I don't know if this was her first time watching it. We watched it together. When she saw it, she was like, damn. That's, she was like, the worst part is it's exactly the same now. She was like, that's that's the worst part of it. And it, it made me feel all the the outrage and everything that you normally feel now. You know, like whenever I watch something like that, I stop liking white people for like a good few hours. <laughs> like, that's just the truth, you know? So I felt that for a little while. What about you, sir? Same way. I mean, I think time and time again, especially in today's climate, we're watching things that we watched back in our childhood, 90s, early 2000s. And I find too often that we have this conversation of seeing things depicted 10, 20 years ago. That's shit. It's the same way today. It's like nothing is. Yeah, nothing has changed. In a sense, yes, but, you know, we, we do that too much. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing that too much, too often. You know, I had kind of forgot about that scene before I had started watching the movie. And so to see it again in this context is just like, wow, like it's like the same old story. You know, it's like the only difference is we got camera phones now, you know, and there's cameras everywhere. So before you would hear about it, now you can just see it all the time. It really made me attached to Stoney right after that because it's like, your brother didn't deserve that. And you kind of end up rooting for her throughout the whole movie, especially after she had the lays down with the sleaze ball 
for that college tuition money, which mm-hmm. he didn't deserve to die for that. But damn, bro. Like, <laughs> it's like, you said, I don't want to hear this right now, bro. Your sister just got in the most grimiest position to help you go to school. Literally. And that's, and that's what you going to do. That's how you feel, bro. Like, I wanted to put hands on him in that moment. It's like, nigga, you don't understand. I mean, did, did y'all kind of feel the same way? Did y'all start rooting for Stoney a little bit more after that scene? Or was you just kind of like just following her? You know, I feel like the film was geared to have us primarily following her anyway. And if there's any empathy in the film at all, as the movie progresses, I would say that it would fall towards Stoney's character, especially since you explicitly saw what was going down with her in that situation that you just talked about, as well as the unfortunate situation that happened with her brother. But overall, so while I would agree, you know, yes, because we were kind of geared that way. To me, it was like a wrestling storyline. You know, they kind of shifted you to where they wanted your empathy to be. But overall, for me, there wasn't enough of that spread out throughout the entire film. What I'm trying to say is where they set it up for Stoney, my issue has always been they didn't put enough focus or didn't, you know, integrate enough empathy for everybody else. They damn sure didn't do it for uh, Cleo. There's not enough meat on the bone there for TT. And then, you know, at a certain point, to be honest, at the beginning of the film, it's like, yo, I kind of feel what Frankie is talking about. This is fucked up. But as it progresses and she gets into the robberies and all that other stuff, at the end of the day, when she got popped, I ain't feel so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt sorry for Stoney, but that was more so because you kind of have no choice. Like Sean said, that's the way they set it up. They they pushed a lot of the focus towards her. But honestly, for me, the person who I was rooting for the most is probably T.T., because she was so meek, you know, like I just like I was like, you don't belong here, girl. Like, what you doing? Like, you don't belong in this life. I feel like they kind of forced her along because she's like that weak will friend who's like, okay, all right, let's go, fine. Mm-hmm. Even though she knows she don't want to do it, and she knows she got the most to lose out of everyone there because she's got a son. Stony's brother's already dead. She's got nothing else to lose. She's lost everything. Parents and brother are dead. She's literally by herself. TT had everything to lose and didn't want to do it. That's why she ran away from the first robbery. But they kind of come pulled her back into the fold. And, and I feel like that meek nature is what led her to her fate. And so she's probably the one I felt the most sorry for when I think about it. I, I can feel that. Uh, TT, to me, is somebody who I would like to say is unexpecting, but expecting the worst. You know, it's like you believe that everything is going to go wrong, but you don't really expect it to happen when it's going to happen. You just you're just not ready. You're just you're never ready for the moment. She didn't quite fit with the crew, you know, like she didn't really have like none of the same juice that everybody else kind of brought to the plate at any time. And I know, you know, sometimes you had that in the crew, but like it, it just didn't seem like a great fit. 
I guess it's more environment for me. You know, I'm thinking, you know, nineties LA kind of feel like at some point in early in life that these four women would have ran into each other, would have bonded over a circumstance, went to school together, something. So I could see how they would end up as friends. But at the same time, I do vibe with that. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't belong. She doesn't belong in this plan at all. Matter of fact, if, if you go back to what you said earlier about something like this needing four people, those other three, as friends, they should have been like, you know what, TT, this is you. This is you as a person. We can't have that. And the difference between us three and you is that you get you got a child. Mm-hmm. You know, if they really wanted to help her, they would have did what they had to do, got the money that they had to get, and help their friend that way. Right. That 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 would have been a good way to help a friend out. You know, like let's pull this out. It's almost like Robin Hood type shit for the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You're doing it for the greater good, not just yourself. But you know what? I feel like TT actually did fit with the crew. I feel like she fit perfectly as a group of friends. As a crew of bank robbers, no. But I feel like the crew was perfect as a group of friends because they each had their role. To me, TT was like the mascot. You know, that, that's, that's what she was. Latifa was like, she was like the glue. She was the glue guy. Stoney was like the leader because they all kind of, we need Stoney, we need Stoney. Like nobody makes a move until Stoney says so. Like, okay, we can rob, but we could do one more job. So Stoney's like the leader, the de facto leader. And Francesca was the the brains behind the whole thing. She was the brains behind the crew. She had accomplished the most before they had started robbing banks. She was the mastermind behind how we're going to get in and out of these banks. So they all actually had their roles. I feel like they were a perfect crew of friends. They just sit left out, like y'all said, of the bank robbing thing. We didn't really get too attached to what TT had going on besides with her son. And it's kind of like sprinkled in here and there. And like I wanted to float back toward Thony because she did have a majority of the screen time in the story. As the movie progresses, we don't really get too much of what it's like to be at home with Frankie. We almost kind of lose sight of her for stretches of the movie until it's time to plan something, which I thought was a little bit odd because I felt that they were making it seem like her whole life was about work because that's all they showed us. You know, it was, I used to work at the bank, but now I'm working this and I hate my life. I I, I would have liked a little bit more. Does anybody agree or disagree with that? Uh, They could have given her some more, you know, just to kind of flesh her out. Even if not as a character, just for the fact that it was Vivica Fox, you know, because at that point she was, she was still a relatively big deal, at least on her way up. I can't remember if she was already established or if she was on her way up, but in terms of black star power, you know, you had three relatively large ones at the time between Latifah, Jada, and Vivica. So I would have been trying to play up, at least play up those three roles in the story as much as possible to establish them and, and lean into each one of their fan bases and backgrounds. You know, for that reason alone, I wanted to see more of Frankie. Before this role, I know she had some television appearances. I remember seeing her on, she was on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Family Matters, just a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Martin, she was on the episode of Martin. But movie-wise, this movie was right after Independence Day. Mm. Like, this came out for her right after Independence Day. Like, before that, she had only been in, what we're doing next week, don't be a menace. 
<laughs> and then right after that, Booty Call, Batman and Robin, Soul Food. Mm, so she would. This is like the beginning of her run, basically, is what you're saying. Out of all the four women in this movie, as an actor, she was most established at this point, or more of a brand as an actor than any one of them. I mean, you alluded to the fact that Queen Latifah was into her living single run, but as an actor, that was it. She ain't had nothing else. Vivica's coming off of a blockbuster. Now, granted, Jada had some other films like Jason's Lyric, Menace to Society, Low Down Dirty Shame. So she had a few more, a few other stuff, but I, I don't know. I felt like they missed something with Vivica and Frankie, period. Like you could have really used Vivica coming off that hot movie to do more with this movie. And you're right, we don't we don't know much of Frankie after she gets fired. We just don't know. She just plotting, plotting, trying to get money, getting arrogant, and shot in the back. And it's over. You know, I'm a Vivica Fox fan. So it was a little disappointing that she didn't get some more screen time. The only person really left to talk about really is Stoney. Stoney, who looks at one of the banks, she meets Keith. Now, he felt like his game was mean. Look, bro, let's be real, man. Shit was average. And he pulled her based on looks. So, I mean, I, I feel like he had that no game game. That no game game? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that shit's effective, bro. <laughs> it is. I've, I've tried the no game game because it's, it's effective because when you talk to somebody who gets like the wide range of like just off the wall crazy shit niggas just be saying, mm-hmm. like you just have to come and be like, yo, say really no game, but like, hey, you just sexy. Just like, that's it. Yeah. And it just works because nobody's just direct. And it's almost like the the message is being delivered different. So it, it cuts through a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's more direct. You know, it's, you know what it is. You, you see it coming. It was like the Ben Wallace, a game. You know, you can think of Ben Wallace as a basketball player. You know what the hell you getting? And they going to put up a thousand points or nothing like that, but it's going to get the job done. <laughs> but yeah, so Keith and Stoney basically begin their courtship, and Stoney is put on to a different side of life. Like, this is a story of I'm trying to take you out the projects, and I'm trying to put you on. And Keith was all about it. This is when I ha- started to have a problem with Stoney. Okay. They meet, they start dating. It's going good. This man got a good job. Definitely paid. Could give you a totally different lifestyle than what you're accustomed to. That was your way out. Safe. You could have stopped there. You could tell he is simp for her. Right. So all she had to do was be with him. And would have definitely had a different lifestyle, a better lifestyle than she's ever had. But niggas. <laughs> I feel you on that. It, it was one of the parts that made me that made me frustrated with her, but made me kind of respect her a little bit because she she was absorbing all the game that he was trying to put into her, you know, about bettering your life and like showing her how I look. You stick with me, I can I can enhance your circumstances, basically. You know, he was he was trying to put her on and just change her mindset. And she was taking all that game he was giving her and trying to slowly impart it on her friends. 
she was trying to like, you know, well, what do you, when she asked Cleo, what you thinking about five years from now? Where you, where you see yourself? They never had them type of conversations before she started kicking it with Keith. So she was trying to take everything she was given, getting and, and do a Robin Hood style, give it back to her people, you know, cause she wanted them to change. So she kind of, it was almost on some Jesus shit. I got to go down into the depths you know, with all the, the sinners and the, the, the vile, this, that, and the other, and be amongst them to change them. She almost had that kind of thing to her. So she could have saved herself. She was so busy trying to save everybody else too. And that's your problem right there. <laughs> you can't be preaching to nobody about changing themselves when you ain't changed your own damn self. I feel and totally agree with everything that Derek said, but baby girl, you're preaching this gospel to your friends, but at the same time, you still trying to rob this bank. You might be on a different mindset than the rest of your friends, but taking what you're trying to put on your friends, saying that to somebody like Cleo ain't going to be received like the way you're taking it. Yeah. Like somebody like Cleo has to hear it, see it, and hell, might have to be pushed to doing it. That is so true because Cleo ain't give a fuck. She ain't give a fuck about nothing. She ain't give a fuck about your music. She ain't give a fuck about life, going nowhere, anything. Like she was down to do it all. And real quick, what I just thought about that is the tossing of the music out the window one of the most like reckless things ever? Did it just feel so obvious? Like the first time, like that was dumb. Yeah. Like every time? It was just so stupid because it you established the pattern, which made it even easier to spot you. And just because of the way I think, I can't help watch things like this and think about how I would have done it, right? When, it, when I'm watching one of these types of movies. So I'm sitting there like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I already know I effed up the first time I threw out the CDs. If I know I'm going to steal the damn car again, I'm not going to throw out, throw out the music again. Maybe I'll throw out some other shit. <laughs> you know, throw out a, seat, a, a cushion or... So, you know, leave a, a, a pacifier on the floor. So now they're like, oh, this is a totally different MO. This is like a, they had a baby with them. Some, some, some crazy shit, you know, but I'm not going to keep on throwing, throwing CDs out. And the part that was crazy is, is that she had an established track record. She had a rap sheet for stealing cars and she got popped for that already. So you would think she learned from getting popped the first time or the first couple of times. How many times she done got caught up for robbing cars, but she still do the same stupid shit. That part, it was so frustrating. Every time I saw her toss the music out, I'm like, this dumb motherfucker. All y'all go down. All I'm going to say is they became, to me, the wet bandits in that moment. That's awful, but I, I get it. <laughs> Working back to Stoney. So we looked at her relationship with Keith as something that was very innocent and from jump. Now, at the beginning, she made it seem like there was going to be some inside tracking that she was going to do. Now, is it just me or did she not catch anything from him besides like the game she was given? I don't think she intended to. Mm -hmm. I mean, she just, she was living, she was trying to live in both worlds. She was like, damn, I come in here to do this bullshit and this, this fine motherfucker won't get at me, blah, blah, blah. And that's how she was thinking. And she's like, look, why can't I try to have both? You know, I done lost everything already. Let me try to have a little bit of both. I feel like it was as simple as that. She wasn't really trying to case. That was just an excuse. 
Now, one thing I do see about Stoney going forward, I don't ever get the feeling that she's ever all in. Like you said, she's trying to play both sides, like have, you know, best of both worlds. And it almost like she doesn't really want to commit to just doing this type of shit full time. Like she does, she is just not comfortable coming out of her element and just saying, fuck it. Like it's time to start new until all her friends get killed. You know, like literally that's what it takes. You have to run for your life in order for you to commit to doing something new. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of why I feel like Sean is like, yo, I don't really, I did not fuck with her as much. The group is flawed from the beginning. To do the, what they're doing at the level that they're doing it, to be a four person group, to have two people who are all in, one person who's questioning it, and another person who has no business doing it at all and don't want to do it. Listen to what I just said. Has no business there and doesn't want to do it. They're already flawed as a group from jump. Right. So mm -hmm. that, that that's the overall issue that I have with the whole plan, period. It'd be different. I would feel different if they all were like gung-ho, we doing this shit, we're in, what no wavering, and then there was a plan out for each one of them. But it was none of that. From start to finish, they were doomed. Like, I, I don't believe in taking on anything big and without thinking about the, the outcome. You know, what's going to happen after? Okay, I'm going to get into it this way. I'm always going to put more effort into that, but I got to at least always put some thought into, okay, shit goes left. How do I get out? Even something as simple as just for me, I guess maybe because of my nature, because I'm a dude and I'm from New York, a lot of grimy people, never just grimy ass New Yorkers, they told you, you know, I don't walk into a room without thinking, okay, the shit pops off, who's going first? All right, who I got to take? <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't walk into a room without like sizing up everybody and find, and looking for all the exits. So I'm damn sure not going to go into a scenario with three of my homies like, okay, we're going to rob these banks, but what's the exit strategy? If they don't want to plan one from the group, believe i'm planning one for myself amen you better believe that on november 3rd 86 out of 99 state legislative chambers are holding elections there are 70 million young eligible voters the largest and most diverse generation in our country's history we have the power to shape our country and communities but we, but need, we need all, all of us. us so picture this on November 3rd, we, we choose. choose. We choose who sits in 435 seats in the House of Representatives. We choose 24 senators and 13 governors. We choose the sheriffs, the DAs, and the judges too. With 70 million young eligible voters, we choose to align a vision too humane to be political. And make the future prouder than it's ever been. So when the alarm goes off on Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, and you arrive at your polling site, to see freedom clocking two-hour waits. Vote anyway. When the machines stop working and your job starts calling because American democracy is running late again, vote anyway. Your vote is bigger than the color of your state. It is a revolution in motion. The moment you took to the streets and to the screens to share your outrage, you recommitted to our collective dream, which requires that you lift it out of hashtags and into DC and your communities. Because remember, this is the same year that brought a pandemic which disproportionately killed black and brown Americans and indigenous people. The same 2020 that took the breath 
of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Nina Pop, and Dominique Fells. So on November 3rd, 2020... Know that voter suppression will be present. Vote anyway. You will be discouraged. Vote, Vote anyway. anyway. Tuesday will be imperfect. Vote, Vote anyway. anyway. When every headline is shouting, shouting democracy, democracy and duty and swing states, states... You will be asked to believe in a dream that never came to fruition for every American. And despite your best reason... You must uphold it. Because we can't vote a world into existence that we can't first imagine. The American dream is ours for the making. Come alive for ancestors who need you to finish their story. A story that begs for atonement. Cast your promise. Cast your promise. Cast your vote. Cast your vote. But vote! Okay, so they, they rob the bank and they get their biggest score. Everybody gets like 75 grand. Great score. And for whatever reason, they decide to bring it to work and hide <laughs> it in a vent. Dumbass. Not even deep, like just right there where you can just at the, just drop something and look up and see it. The whole sequence where the money is taken, you know, they get Luther's location because of course, Luther's the one that finds the bag. So takes it, buys Rolexes, Crystal <laughs> and white women with Cleo's money. Crystal and white women. <laughs> this one. <laughs> most stereotypical <laughs> shit. Rolexes, Crystal, and white women. This, <laughs> and so we find them at this motel where they try to shake him down to get the rest of the money and Polo TT. Mm. Always the wrong one. Shoots the man before we get the answers. Now, like how how upset would you have been with TT for shooting Luther before you got an answer? I wouldn't have been upset with her at all. He was about to blow my head off if I'm Cleo. Like he had me dead to rights. My money. Puts that revolver or whatever it was right to her face. Like he was about to blow her away. I guess you got a point. I guess I'm like, gonna like hit a kneecap, shoulder blade. <laughs> <laughs> at that point. I feel like they had experienced so much shit with Luther up to that point, especially TT. True. Right. And 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 the way that I describe TT, she's unsure and a little unhealthy. <laughs> so probably not another situation that I would have involved her in. You would have left her at home. Yeah. Like, girl, go do some research and get your kid back. We'll take care of it. Uh, like I just laugh at all of them when the guy shows up and it's not Luther and they were like who are you and I was like you dumbass you know where Luther's at he's, like, he's out the business what <laughs> you know what hit me is like between Darnell from the first robbery his crew and then hey. between Luther like you commit a big ass crime and you don't leave like, you stay where you from, where you at, where you known to be? You gonna stay in the same area? Who does this shit? Mm -hmm. Y'all supposed to be professional lowlifes. At least the first group was. They was professional lowlifes. Luther's supposed to be a dude who, he seems to think ahead. He seems to be somewhat of a forward-thinking dude. He, at least he's very thorough to have found the money in the vent, of all places. Mm -hmm. So he's at least thorough to some extent. So if you're that damn thorough, you got all this money. You could easily, and you in LA or wherever, you could easily hop across that damn border in no time, get get south of the border and be gone. 
Mm-hmm. What the hell you doing laid up in the snooty fox or wherever the hell you was at with this woman? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like street talk was enough to street talk was enough to bring you down. Just some dudes on the street know where you are. Like that's that's enough. Yep. Come on. All right. So let's get to this ending. Sean, you I can already tell like that is that's your part. Like, how do you feel when you know that the ending is coming up? Like I said before. From the jump, this grouping was a recipe for, of disaster. We've all talked about the lack of actually long-term planning and the fact that there were folks in the group who either were unsure or shouldn't have been there. So it was bound in bad, okay? And it's literally either or both greed or arrogance that sets up the end of this movie. Because they had a plan to go in and get out. But the minute that I knew shit was about to jump off was when Cleo like demanded TT go get some more money. Yeah. Like from that, from that place, I was like, well, here we come. All this shit's about to go down. So that allows the police to get there. Look, y'all, we all know she was going to be the first one to go. (laughs) (laughs) We we all know TT was going to be the first one to go. And Sure enough, TT goes. They engage in that car chase that you knew was going to end bad, which brings me to my most memorable moment and literally was probably my favorite death scene in movies, period, until Denzel went out in training day. Like Denzel going out in training day is still my number one nigga getting shot up moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wow but before, but before then it was Cleo yeah, yeah she took all the bullets and it was yo it was kind of going back to what you said earlier you know Cleo knew what this life was for her or she yeah. had already made up her mind what this life was for her you know she was going to live it up do what she had to do until it was her time to go and in that moment you saw that she felt it. I saw kind of the same look in her face before she got out the car that she had when she delivered that line earlier in the film. It's like, yo, this is what I've been talking about my whole life. This is my time. And this is the way I'm going to go out. And boy, did she go out. Like, <laughs> shit. Yes, all the fireworks. Man, they, they lit her ass up. So she gets shot up. Police find Frankie. Now, this is some shit that we definitely experience in our society these days. Because this is one thing for Cleo to get out the car shooting, blazing. Of course, she going to get shot up. But, you know, they find Frankie. All Frankie did, Frankie tried to run away. She tried to run away, not to. And they shot her in the back. Yeah. They now, shot her in the back. <laughs> well, come on, man. Like she, like, she, she put the gun over boy's neck. Like she knew that that was the signature on the death certificate, right come there. Oh man, I don't agree with it, but yeah, I mean, I just think I don't it's agree over. With it neither, you know, I just still feel funny get shot in the back, you know. Yeah. So here's the deal. Here's what I always put it with: if Strode is going to be in a space where we're making this move and ultimately kill Frankie. And why are you gonna let Stoney get away? Hmm. I feel like, well, the way they the way they probably wanted to portray it in the movie is at least because this is how I took it. He looked at her and they had that moment of eye contact, but he was just like, damn, I really took everything away from you. 
Like, I took everything from you. I took your brother. I took your friends. Hell, I took this friend right in front of you. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, cause he, he spent like the whole, the whole movie, he was trying to pay her back for her brother. Like he was trying to make up for ki- killing her brother, but there was no way to make up for it. So at that point, it's just like, oh, like, I can't take no more from this woman. I already feel like shit. Like she got a little money. She ain't hurt nobody. Look, just go. And that was that. That's how I took it. Not realistic, but that's how I took it. That's the part that I've always leaned on is that, yo, that's just not realistic. Like, I just don't feel like they would have locked eyes like they did. Even if he felt bad for her, you could still get her. And I felt like, realistically, someone in that situation is, yo, stop that bus. Definitely. They might light the whole damn bus up the way they doing it these days. Everybody got to go on the bus but yeah, like I'm I'm looking at Stony like, yo, why you ain't ducking? You should be crouched in the seat, like out of view from everybody. But you standing there with your face on the glass. Like, do you see me? Do you see me? Like, and, and here's the deal. You not so concerned with your friends that you ain't out there with them. Like, look, one of your friends got shot up in the bank, dead, gone die in your arms. Your other friend just got lit up like a fucking firecracker on the street. You just saw your friend get shot in the back in the alley. But while all that's going down on the ground, your ass in the bus with the money. So to CL's point, if you're going to get away, if you're not going to be in it, you're going to get away, then be totally in it and get away. Get your ass down in the seat. Don't be seen like a dumbass. She kind of lost a little empathy for me right there. Because you just, you just still being dumb. White man guilt saved her. Yeah, some white guilt <laughs> at the at the last moment. What we I think we talked about it on the poetic justice episode, <laughs> talking about Jada Pinkett in dramatic moments. But shout out to what I remember or what I feel is Jada Pinkett's best dramatic performance of her entire career, cutting them braids off in the mirror. <laughs> like, that was your moment, girl. Go get it. And the emotion, the emotion poured out in that phone exchange between Stoney and Key, I felt it. Silence says it all. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Fuck that. Fuck that ending, bro. They could have just ended the movie with her driving away in a bus, man. I guess it's awards time, man. <sighs> Ain't got no drum roll. I was gonna try to. <laughs> <laughs> but y'all know how we do it. We love the film. If it's one of our favorites, we hook it up with an Image Awards. But shout out and shout out to Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett. They were nominated for Image Awards for this. We felt it was a good movie. We'll hook it up with a Soul Train Award. It's a so-so film. Hook it up with a Source Award. But hey, we think it was a piece of shit and we drilling holes in it like Queen Latifah got. We're going to hook it up with a BET Award. So fellas, 1996. Set it off. What we got? I'm going to give this a Soul Train Award. Now, really, it's like a 2.5, if I'm going to be honest with you. It's like, it's in between uh, because it definitely has some, and you know what? Uh, now that I'm saying it, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go towards a Source Award. you know if i'm if i'm i'm actually rounding up i need to be rounding down when i do that math there's some serious flaws in the movie that are just hard to come by like i said just not having lawyers exist in this universe just kind of it it throws i know it's a movie but it just throws a lot of logic out and it might be 2020 ish 
Um, I might have felt better about it back in the day, but right now it's you know it's 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 a good movie for the culture, just not for the filmography. I'll give it a Soul Train Award just because I've I remember the way I felt when I first saw this movie. Like it, it was powerful to me. Like I wasn't looking at it and poking holes in it the way I am now as an adult. And I loved it. You know, it was some of my favorite people, you know, which, well, three of my favorite people, because I didn't know who Elise, who Elise was at the time, but three of my favorite people were in this movie, you know? So that was a huge deal for me because I felt like there were never any movies with black people in them. And yeah, as y'all know from previous episodes, I only watched black movies. Right. So for, for me, I was loving this. And when I look at it now, yeah, I could spot a lot of holes, but it still gave me that same feeling. It doesn't get the image because I can't watch it every day. You know, though that's only for movies I could watch every day. So it could rock with a Soul Train Award. I'll be real honest with you. If we did this podcast like three, four years ago, I would have gave this a BET Award. <laughs> but I appreciate it a little bit more. More so for what the movie did for the culture than anything. In 1996, having a film like this, directed by a Black filmmaker, F. Gary Gray, and then Vivica Fox, Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, and this really being our introduction to Kimberly Elise, that's big, you know, and I, I can appreciate that. What I don't like about Set It All is there's just too many holes and a lot of meat that was left on the bone for movies to be about story there was not enough story in this film for all four of those characters now i know you don't have a lot of time to invest in every single person in a film like this but you got to give us something like and even going through this podcast there's just too much that we don't know about Cleo. Like we can all think about that one line that she gave in the film, but that ain't enough, not to me. And Kimberly Elise, like baby, what's your purpose? You got a whole kid, but you out here robbing banks. It just don't make no sense. And then like it was said earlier, this movie starts out hot with Frankie. You could begin to watch this movie, think it's about Frankie, but then Immediately after that, it switches over to be totally about Stoney. Makes no sense. And for this movie to be two hours and three minutes long and not to know that much about any of these characters outside of Stoney, yeah, I, I, I can't rock with that. So I feel like overall the film had a promising start. First part of it, you get to understand some of the motive behind what they're doing but after that, shit just starts to go all over the place for me. And I'm glad CL said something about it earlier. To have a movie that was only budgeted for $9 million, even though you made $41 million at the box office, you can't, no, can't say that you thought you were going to do that well. To spend most of that money to do some sorry-ass Godfather parody, yeah, I got to knock you down for that. That was kind of dumb. But I don't want it to be a downer. Shout out to what the movie did do for the culture, because this is something that I do recognize that a lot of folks love, especially women. And I don't blame them because the only other women led films that I can think about in this time were an appropriately led Vivica Fox movie, Soul Food and <laughs> Gang of Roses. Have y'all ever seen Gang of Roses? I don't think I have. <laughs> don't. I think so. Now that I mentioned, now that you don't. mentioned it. If you don't, unless we do it here one day, that's a movie that you can skip, bro. Mm-hmm.
sorry ladies, but it seems as though Set It Off didn't set it off too well with the Madcap crew. A little far away from being inducted into the Madcap Movie Review Hall of Fame. Remember, you need an image award from all hosts to get that distinction of being a Hall of Fame movie. But you know what? We're going to give 1996 a reprieve. Next week, we're going to bring you Don't Be a Menace While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Definitely one of the best movie titles ever. But is the movie good? We'll chop it up on that next week. But until then, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow the Madcap Movie Review Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at MadcapPod. And give us a like over on Facebook at MadcapPod as well. For my hosts, CL and Derek, this is Sean, and we'll see you next week with Don't Be a Menace. I don't want you hanging out in the streets. I want you to finish school. Because without an education, the only kind of work you're going to get is selling drugs, pimping women, or working security for Eddie Murphy. Miramax Films presents Sean Wayans. It ain't all about the size of the boat. It's the motion in the ocean. Marlon Wayans. What you say about my mama? And Keenan Ivory Wayans. They're not bad. Now, in a circular motion, rub your stomach and pat your head. They just never had any role models. They tell you young punk something. Don't let nobody give you my fine you. Didn't I tell you to clean your room? We got a problem? From the creators of Scary Movie and Scary Movie 2. do we have a problem? Comes a movie the New York Post calls hilarious. Hello? Hey, yo, man, you paid me? Yeah, yeah, you ready to be out? Yeah, let's move. One of the funniest comedy creations in years, says the Dallas Morning News. And Gene Siskel says it's got a lot of big laughs. Now, children, what do you say when you meet a nice man? Own the only DVD with 14 words in the title. Ah! Don't be a menace to South Central. Well, congratulations. You got yourself a job. While drinking your juice in the hood. Hey, how you want this radio? <laughs>